0: It would be great to keep your Bible open uh, as we have a look at this passage together. Let me pray. Dear Lord, uh, we thank you for your word, uh, that you speak to us uh, through it, and we pray that you will teach us this morning from it. Uh, Lord, through your spirit, uh, convict us of the things that we need to hear. Amen. Amen. We are constantly told that we need more. And the promise is that if you pile up enough more, you get to the top of more mountain. And when you get to sit at the top of more mountain, there's this place called contentment, where your soul is at peace with the world, where you feel safe and secure, and you can just bask in the pleasure of your more every day. And so when we're uh, little, uh, it starts with Lego, and Nerf guns, and then more Nerf guns, and then uh, perhaps some dolls, because you need something to shoot with <laughs> your Nerf gun. Uh, but as you get a, a bit older, uh, it then moves to iPhones and iPads and perhaps uh, clothing uh, and uh, you know what you will wear or, or the latest console. And you get older still and it starts, you start looking at a car or perhaps a trip overseas, Uh, then it becomes a relationship which is a financial investment. Uh, Then you get to a house uh, and then a better house Uh, and then perhaps you have a little bit of a midlife crisis and so you get into fitness and and run a marathon Uh, and then as you get older still you you go back to to travel and looking after the grandchildren uh, who are shooting you with Nerf guns and there is a multi- billion dollar industry that wants to tell you every day that you need all of this more if you really want to find that place called contentment. And at the same time, it actually feeds our discontent and it plays to our natural greed and our fear of missing out. So this is how one marketing commentator put it. According to research by Microsoft, consumers can be exposed to as many as 600 messages or signals a day from brands hunting ears, eyeballs, and ultimately wallets and purses. I think we know in our heart of hearts that there is no peak to more mountains. So in the words of Ecclesiastes, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. But even if there was a peak to more mountain, Jesus' warning to us today is in fact we are looking at the wrong mountain. There is more than just more. And so this passage will start off and it's talking about greed, uh, but then as we, as we look a bit deeper and a bit further, uh, it's really about perspective, how we view life, how we view our possessions and where we find our security. And so there's a lot in the passage today, so let me flag where we're going. The first part of the passage is addressed to everyone because it starts with the crowd. And Jesus says, don't put your hope In your worldly possessions. And then he goes on to specifically talk to Christians. Don't worry about, or be anxious or fearful about your worldly wants. And then finally, Jesus goes on again talking to the Christians to say, Seek first the kingdom. So that's our journey. So in our passage, it starts with our large crowd. And they're gathered to hear Jesus speak. In fact, there's so many, they're literally crawling over each other to get closer to him. And in the midst of all of this chaos, uh, one man speaks up and he wants Jesus to judge a dispute between him and his brother over the family inheritance. So verse 13, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And I think many of us can perhaps uh, relate with this situation. I suspect we all know someone or, or a family uh, who have gone through and seen how destructive an inheritance dispute can be, where each party feels they have a right to more, either legally or because of what they've contributed to the family or perhaps because of their circumstances compared to others. My brother's rich, he doesn't need more money. I should get a greater portion of the inheritance. And everyone always puts it in the language of rights and justice. And very rarely do we talk about grace. Unless we're pointing the finger at someone else and saying they should be gracious. But Jesus, he doesn't really want anything to do with this, this dispute between the brothers, at least not from a legal perspective. Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? So this man's kind of hoping that Jesus will use his influence to intervene uh, and condemn uh, what his brother is doing. And he may well be right. He may well have a legal claim to the money. So in Deuteronomy, an inheritance is supposed to be divided amongst the sons and the older son gets twice the portion. So he may well have a legal claim to this money. But Jesus doesn't condemn him for the legal claim, but for the attitude of his heart. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of your possessions. And isn't that what we do sometimes? You know, we're so busy pointing out the immorality of what other people are doing that we actually miss our own sin and our own failure to do what we should do. And so Jesus then goes on to drive home this point about greed by telling us this parable about our rich farmer who has the mother of all harvests. This is the harvest that every farmer dreams of. And so he does the wise thing. He's got, he's got more grain than he knows what to do with. So he goes, well, I, I need to think about the future. So he tears down his barns and he builds bigger barns to be able to you know, cater for all of this you know, great harvest. Yeah, In terms of financial planning, this guy is a role model. Uh, if we read Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs would commend him for what he is doing. Proverbs 13, a wise man thinks ahead. A fool doesn't and even brags about it. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. Proverbs 21. The problem isn't his wealth or the fact that he tears down his barns and builds bigger ones. The problem is that his wealth has become his soul's first love. So one of the things that's perhaps a little lost in the NIV translation is the play on the word soul. So verse 19 says, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat drink and be merry. So the word soul is used to describe the absolute essence of our being, of who we are, and it comes right from the depths of you know how we value life and ourselves. That's what the soul is talking about here. And for this man his wealth nourishes his soul. It promises the happiness and the contentment and the security and the pleasure that we all crave. He has reached this mystical, happy place that we call the peak of Moor Mountain. And so he then settles in to his full leather lazy boy recliner and promptly has a heart attack. Actually, it probably wasn't a lazy boy. Uh, And we don't know if it was a heart attack, but we do get the point. He does drop dead. Verse 20, God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And now all that wealth seems a bit pointless, doesn't it? All that good planning, all his hopes and aspirations for the future, where he trusted his more, all now seem a bit worthless. John Piper uh, is an American pastor, uh, written a number of books. Uh, This is his modern take on this kind of story. He writes, I tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider this story from February 1998, Reader's Digest. A couple took early retirement from their jobs in the northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. Picture them before Christ at the day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells. That is a tragedy. does put things in perspective, doesn't it? But if the answer isn't more mountain then what is it? So in verse 22, we have a movement in the story. We've gone from Jesus talking to the crowds to Jesus talking to his disciples. And if the parable is a word of warning, then Jesus goes on now to give a word of comfort and challenge. So verse 22, Jesus says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. So this passage is not talking about poverty and starvation. He is talking to a group of people who find their security in their wealth and what it can provide. And he's saying, stop worrying. Stop being weighed down and overwhelmed by all of this stuff. Life is more than having more. You have everything you need. Which is difficult to hear, isn't it, in a culture that constantly bombards us with a message that says completely the opposite. And so to demonstrate, Jesus gives this example of a raven. And he chooses a raven for a very particular reason because in the Old Testament, ravens are unclean, kind of like pigs. So you can't eat pork, Uh, if you're an Old Testament Jew, and you can't eat raven. Okay, both of them are out. I think one's more appealing than the other. Uh, But that's because uh, they're a scavenger bird. And so they live off picking at the dead carcasses of of dead animals. So in the economy of lovable birds, the the raven is not a particularly lovable bird. I think it goes vulture down the bottom uh, and closely followed by, by the raven. There's a reason why there's all these scary movies and they got ravens, all right? Uh, You know, it is not a particularly lovable bird. And yet, Jesus says that even the raven has everything it needs. And we are infinitely more valuable than it. And he says something very similar about what we wear. People often say you are what you wear. I think to some extent that's true. True. Because we we wear according to what we value or don't value. If we don't value clothes very much, then that reflects in what we choose to wear. Uh, But life is more than that. Our beauty and our identity is more than that. So absolutely, we should wear clothes which are appropriate for our occasion and context. Uh, We can take pleasure in our clothes. But when we think our clothes or any of our possessions are going to give us security... Or satisfy our need for identity, then we have lost perspective. And in between these two examples of food and clothing is this simple universal truth. Verse 25 Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? All this worrying about possessions and what we will wear and what other people think about us is pointless. Actually, it's worse than pointless, it's destructive. Our brain and our emotions sort of play over these things over and over again. We imagine all of these scenarios of what could happen or might happen. And as we become more anxious, we start to believe they will happen and it's inevitable until we get to a point where our anxiety creates this this paralysis, where we can't move anymore, where we just feel stifled, where our anxiety is now ruling our life. Uh, There's this great uh, prayer that's often associated with Alcoholics Anonymous uh, by a guy called Reinhold Niebuhr. Good name. Uh, this uh, This is the prayer he wrote, and I think it's very apt as we think about anxiety, God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to know the difference. So do not worry, do not be anxious, and do not fear. Verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And this connects back to what Jesus said earlier in the chapter when he's addressing the crowd. When he says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Our culture wants to reduce God down to something that's a little more convenient. And so we often, you know, talk about God is love. And that's true, isn't it? God is love. But God is more than just love. God is also just. He is righteous. He is holy. And he is judge. And he is angry at sin. And so as Christians, we need to hear both that God is loving, absolutely, but we also need to hear that he is judge. But for us as disciples who follow Jesus, we have nothing to fear. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And our assurance isn't grounded in our goodness, but what Jesus is going to do. So this passage is written in the context of Jesus going to Jerusalem. And this is all part of his plan, that God will send his son to die on the cross to pay the price for our sin. So God will be just, but he will be just in punishing his son instead of us that he will allow him to be a substitute for us. So he is just, but he is also merciful and gracious. And we share in that mercy and grace. So if we have nothing to fear and our hope is in Christ, then our desire should be to seek first his kingdom. So rather than putting all our effort into building our own little kingdom uh, that is here today and gone tomorrow, God calls us to invest in his kingdom. And so rather than wanting more, Jesus calls us to give more. Invest your money in the things that God values. And so in this particular passage, he says, give up all of that wealth. Give it to the people who genuinely need it, like helping the poor and the marginalised. So it might be helping uh, the poor and the marginalised in our community and there are no shortage of people in that situation. Uh, It might be uh, supporting uh, financially a sponsor child overseas. Both of those would be good things. And this passage is talking about money, but equally we could be talking about time. How do we invest our time? But of course the Gospel isn't primarily about social justice or social reformation or transformation there's actually a bigger issue in our community one that underlies all of the problems and that is our rebellion against God that's sin and so if we want to really love people then absolutely we need to help people with their physical and emotional needs And we want to do that actively as a church. But the best thing we can do for them is to actually share the gospel. Because that is actually their greatest need, to recognise that they are sinners who can be forgiven. That's the grace we've received. That's the grace that we want to share with others. Our secular law wants to say you can fix everything with food, medicine and education. But we know as Christians that the need is bigger than that. And it's difficult as a minister to talk about money for ministry. Because it sounds self-serving. And I'd be mortified if you left here today thinking that really church is all about getting my money. That would be tragic because that would get in the way of what is most important, what God wants for us all, which is for us to love him. But what we do here when we set aside leaders, when we put a building here, is we create time and space to be able to share the gospel. That's what this room is about. That's what our staff are about. They're about sharing the gospel with people. And so that does take time and resources and money. And where our heart is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, where we invest our time and money says a lot about what we love. So, if we love Jesus, if we desperately want to see other people come to know Jesus, then that's where we should be investing our time and our money. The passage we looked at this morning is a pretty long journey. It started off talking about greed but life is bigger than that for those who put their hope and security in having more then we need to heed the warning of this parable that god has created us for bigger things and if you are a christian then we should be confident in the grace that we have don't be anxious about life but instead be confident about what Jesus has provided. We have his spirit, we have his word, we're surrounded by God's people. We have everything we need. So stop worrying about finding our security in our possessions and instead live more for the kingdom and take pleasure in enjoying God's kingdom. And finally, and I think most difficultly, Can I encourage us to go home today and to think about where we invest our time and money? And then once you've thought about it a bit, uh, talk about it with your significant other or perhaps a friend, Uh, and then pray. Pray that God will convict you of what perhaps needs to change. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you that you have given us so much, uh, that you provide us with everything that we need. And Lord, help us to recognize that and to be thankful for it. Lord, help us to store up treasures in heaven. Help us to work and serve in your plans, uh, not as an obligation, uh, but as a joy, uh, that as we uh, work with you, Uh, to fulfill your plans, that we will see more people come to know and to love you. And so, Lord, I pray you convict our hearts of what we need to see and hear. We pray for these things in your son's name. Amen.